Welcome to Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Star's daily sports podcast. It's Friday, April 30th, and I'm Blair Kirkland. Kansas has a new football coach. It's Lance Leipold, spent the previous six seasons at the University of Buffalo, and turned Wisconsin Whitewater into a Division III national powerhouse before then. Leipold becomes the fifth full-time head coach in the past 11 years, the second from Buffalo. Remember Turner Gill? He has a tough task in Lawrence, repairing a football program that hasn't won more than three games in the season since 2009. On today's show, KUB writer Jesse Newell breaks down the hiring and the considerable challenges the 56-year-old Lightpole faces in Lawrence. After a break, we hear from Chiefs General Manager Brett Beach. Because they traded their first-round pick to the Baltimore Ravens for left tackle Orlando Brown last week, the Chiefs sat out of the first round of the NFL Draft on Thursday. That's the fourth time in the last six years that's happened. And Beach looks ahead to Friday's task. The Chiefs have two picks in the second round. Which way will they go? Okay, let's get started with Jesse Newell on the new Kansas football coach, Lance Leifel. Jesse, Kansas has a new football coach. Tell us who it is. Yeah, Lance Leipold. KU announced it officially on Friday morning, and uh, <laughs> it's fascinating how kind of all these coaching searches take twists and turns. Um, to be completely honest with you, Blair, over the last 48 to 72 hours, the only real buzz I'd heard on anybody was Jeff Munkin, but yet with the coaches that had dropped out of the search and the ones that remained in it, Lance Leipold and Jeff Munkin were very clearly the last two that were uh, in in the running. So yeah, Lance Leipold comes from Buffalo and I'm sure we'll get to talk about him a little bit, but it's sort of fascinating that I'm thinking back to KU coaching searches and they all kind of are their own little snowflake, if you will. But I know Les Miles was sort of, people thought it would be him with Jeff Long. It didn't seem like there was much of a search there. And I think that was sort of borne out over time, but even thinking back to like Charlie Weiss, that one was sort of out of nowhere. And David Beatty's was kind of expected, but there were other candidates there. This one, more than any other, it, it really seemed like Jeff Munkin and Lance Leipold seemed like perfect fits for the job, like they were candidates from day one, and that the whole process just sort of played out that way. And KU hired one of those two guys. So yeah, we'll see how this all plays out. And like I said, I'm sure we'll get into his history here. But uh, I think if you look at the national reaction to this, at least in the moment, that doesn't guarantee success. But I, I think most people are pretty impressed that Kansas was able to pull this off and pretty impressed with the hire, at least here in the moment. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack here. Let's start by saying, first of all, though, Kansas had to hire an athletic director before they got the football coach. That was Travis Goff. And at that point, at his press conference for Travis Goff, that ended the question whether Kansas would hire a football coach at this latest stage, right? Emmett Jones had been elevated as the interim, and there was some suggestion that, you know, let him coach this season on the interim tag and Kansas go forward with a football coaching search after that. But once Travis Goff got on board, it was full steam ahead with a football coaching search. Yeah, well, I mean, mostly yes. I mean, when you do that, you figure that's what's going to be. If you remember back, <laughs> Emma Jones was at the introductory press conference for Travis Goff. And so there was nothing official said then. And you wouldn't expect it to be because Emma Jones was right there and Travis Goff had just taken the job. But about a week and a half later, Travis Goff wrote an email to donors basically saying, I'm opening up a national search. And that seemed to be where this thing was heading all along. And again, they said that Emma Jones was a candidate. I think it's something you have to say to at least, um, you know, appease everybody as part of this process. But it was a tricky circumstance with the timing. I mean, there's no doubt that trying to hire a coach like Jeff Munkin 
when his spring game is literally Friday. KU made its announcement on the day of Army spring game. I mean, that had to be pretty awkward as he's going through this whole process and trying to do two jobs at once. But at the end of the day, I just think if you have your guy and you want to hire them and you can do it right now and get a kickstart on recruiting and getting his stuff uh, going with the program, you just have to do it. And that might mean some departures for KU players. We'll see how that turns out, especially with this new transfer rule. But I think for Kansas, you're looking long-term. You have to look long-term with this program. It's been bad for a decade now. So if you can get your guy in and hire him now, you do it. And plus, it also takes away the potential out there that if Lance Leipold went I don't know, 10 and two with Buffalo this year that he might not pick up Kansas call in the off season. He might pick up somebody else's call. Who's a little bit better. So uh, the strike while the iron is hot, I guess. And that's what Kansas chose to do. And Travis Goff chose to do. And like I said, this seemed like a candidate from the very beginning that KU was interested in. And and when he showed interest back, then uh, they got this thing done. So uh, a credit to KU right now and no guarantee of success, but we'll see how it turns out. I think it's a good point, Jesse, that um, if Kansas had waited until after the 2021 20, season, that a, a candidate like Lance Leipold would not have been available to KU. I think they, I think I read he has 18 starters, or Buffalo has 18 starters coming back. They are expected to be good again this year. Another bowl team, maybe a double-digit victory type of season at Buffalo, and his star would have been even brighter coming out of the 2021 regular season. So let's talk a little bit about the search. You mentioned it earlier. Jeff Munkin from from uh, Army and Leipold from Buffalo, two um, you know not Power Five coaches, but uh, Kansas has gone down the the road of the established head coach at uh, Power Five with with Les Miles and Charlie Weiss. They went with the unknown assistant and David Beatty. Um, they have been to Buffalo before for a head coach with Turner Gill, but Turner didn't have head coaching experience before that. Lance Leipold did. Interesting background for him. Let's get into that a little bit and talk about how his profile seems to be a good fit for what Kansas is looking for right now. Well, yeah, the most fascinating thing about him is really his start in coaching, where he went to Wisconsin Whitewater, which is you know right around his hometown. It's his alma mater, and how he started, he went 106. Not not 106 like the number, like he went 100 wins yeah, yeah six losses. Uh, and so uh, he's the quickest ever coach ever to get to 100 wins in college football history. He broke a mark set in 1921. So, I mean, that just jumps out to you right away. You're doing something right if your team, Division One, Division Two, Division Three, whoever, uh, goes 100 dash and six. Uh, and so, yeah, the unprecedented success. We talked about this, I think, on a previous podcast Blair when I when I talked about him potentially being a candidate one of the top ones his track to me reminds me of John Beeline in college basketball which is start at a lower level and you just you win so much that you just continue to get moved up and so that's what happened with with Leipold at Wisconsin Whitewater he takes the job at Buffalo you know gets that job goes from division three to FBS and if you look at the numbers the, the ones I like to use are from Bill Connolly it's sort of opponent adjusted and schedule adjusted you can look at these SP plus numbers and they're kind of the advanced stats they're kind of like the Ken Pomeroy of college football but you get a kind of a clear view you can kind of judge teams based against each other and after a couple tough seasons under Leipold at Buffalo they immediately just every single year built up until last year. I think they were somewhere in the 40s in SP plus and again finished with a uh, an AP poll ranking. And if you look at Kansas over the same six year stretch, KU has never been better than 100th. And I think no one should argue that Buffalo 
is uh, an, an easier job than Kansas. You know, like Kansas might have had a bunch of bad seasons in a row, but they're still going to have more to offer from a recruiting standpoint, a money standpoint, a coaching staff standpoint, a support standpoint than Buffalo would. So, yeah, this is an intriguing hire. I mean, he's been to Buffalo, you know, whatever this was, uh, six or seven seasons. I, you know, I, I know I've written that down, but I mean, again, just after the first two, they kind of took a, a step back in year one, took another step back into year two, and then every single year after that have continued to build and get better and better and better. And he just is sort of, I, I keep hearing the term, he's just an old ball coach. I mean, if you hear him talk, he'll go on media sessions and interviews and he's happy to do it. It just, it's not overly exciting. It's not uh, riveting. It's not uh, a, a guy up at the pulpit preaching and and being able to sell that thing. And um, you know, he's he's not the person that is just going to wow your socks off with his personality. But for a long time, I think Kansas has needed a coach that just wins football games. You know, they've, they've, they've kind of gone for other things in the press conference to to sell it to people or donors of the fan base or whatever. And they just haven't gone the boring old football coach route. And it sure seems like that's why this could be a good fit for Kansas, because maybe another school like in Illinois, Lance Leipold was the runner up for the Illinois job is, is what I've heard after Brett Bielma. Maybe a school like that can be a little bit pickier with the personality of their coach with Kansas just go win some football games. If you go win some football games, everything will turn out in the end. Purdy was involved with Vanderbilt as well. Both this offseason. I, I want right. to mention that too. This wasn't, you know, 2017 or 18. This was like a couple months ago too. Right. All right. So eight years at Wisconsin Whitewater. He's 109 and six. And that includes one, two, three, four, five, 15 and 0 records. His NCAA tournament record Kansas fans can relate to NCAA tournament records, 34 and one in the division three playoffs. So you're right. Goes from Wisconsin whitewater to Buffalo, six seasons with the bulls. Final record there is 37 and 33, but he goes five and seven and then two and 10, his first two years. And then bowl eligible uh, 10 win season in 2018 and two bowl victories uh, in his next couple of seasons. So I'll tell you, Jesse, there's something else I like about his career arc is that we started talking about his head coaching experience. And of course, that's what's important and relevant here. But before that, he was a coach that was climbing the ranks in other ways. He played, as you mentioned, at, uh, at Wisconsin Whitewater. And then his coaching career begins as a GA at Wisconsin. He becomes an assistant coach at Nebraska Omaha. And then he's on Frank Solich's staff at Nebraska, the team that uh, played for the national championship in 2001. So I, I like the idea that he went from you know the, the highest level of college football, Division One, you know, in a program that was playing in the Rose Bowl for the national championship, Nebraska lost to Miami in that game. Then he goes to Division Three to sort of almost recreate his career, or at least he decides that if he's going to be a head coach, this is where it's going to start for him. I don't know. There's, I, I think that says something about his his work ethic and his values that he was willing to go from Nebraska to, to basically Wisconsin Whitewater. And uh, we haven't talked to him yet. Uh, the press conference, probably not until Monday. Is that what we're thinking? Yeah, it should be Monday. All this is very interesting with the timing because, again, KU's spring game is Saturday. But it sure looks like Lance Leipold is going to fly in to meet with the team, which would make a lot of sense, even though you don't want it to be too much of a distraction for all these guys that have, you know, put their sweat into the the spring game practices, all those sorts of things. But, you know, I'd imagine that he's going to be around the facility and the field on Saturday. And then, yeah, most likely a press conference on Monday. So um, all this is sort of, sort of weird timing, but I wrote 
kind of six things to know about each of these candidates this week, kind of to look into it. And something sort of interesting with him is he's kind of even mentioned this in quotes where he said that if there was a secret to the success, everybody would be selling it. Everybody would have it. Sort of his secret to it is just what he does. You know, he builds relationships. He brings in players. They play or develop. You know, they they just kind of grind the thing up, if you will. And uh, something else to look at as people are watching the NFL draft in the next few days is to look how many Buffalo players are being drafted which is quite a few compared to guy, even teams like Kansas, Kansas State. And, and then, again, that doesn't happen if you don't evaluate talent and then build that talent and player develop even in a place like Buffalo. So I think those are some checks in his regard. Again, we'll see if it works out. There have been great hires in the past that have not worked out that seem like perfect hires. So uh, obviously that will be in the results. But those are the sorts of things I think he's not going to come in here and, and say, these are the six magic words, decided schematic advantage or whatever to say, hey, this is how he's going to get turned around. It just is sort of like, hey, I've done this. It's worked here. It worked there. And I think it can work at Kansas. And so uh, I'm pretty sure that's going to be his message come Monday. A couple of interesting tidbits about uh, about his tenure at Buffalo. The assistant head coach at Buffalo is Rob Ionello. All, all uh, Lance Leipold had to do was walk down the hall and ask uh, Rob about you know what, what Kansas is like. Ionello was on the staff two or three years, mm-hmm. as I recall, 2013, 14, something like that. That'll be fascinating to track too, Blair, because I've seen some whispers out there that potentially Ionello could be a candidate in line to replace Leipold at Buffalo, which honestly could kind of work in both directions because it's, I've heard Kansas fans kind of talk about that because Ionello's tenure at Kansas wasn't too <laughs> successful. I don't, I mean, again, it was, it was part of a, a regime that wasn't successful, but um, yeah, he, he was not at Kansas for very long. So, but he is kind of one of the trusted staff members there. And then you also talk about the uh, defensive coordinator that has followed Leipold. He continues to, to follow him every place that he's gone, which is Brian Borland actually used to be an assistant coach as I wrote in the story at Baker way, way back in the day. So, um, and funny quote that he had was he said that way back in like 1994 when Leipold was trying to get into coaching he actually tried to offer Leipold a job with Baker to like clean up peanuts and kind of be a part-time coaching staff member all those sorts of things and it didn't pan out but again everything worked out in the end so and we'll see that's that's another big question for this Kansas situation and the turnover which is how do you handle the coaching staffs because this is a very tricky time to be overturning almost all of your coaches. Plus, you're in the middle of a pandemic. You're $30 million down in revenues uh, for the fiscal year 2020-2021. And oh, by the way, you just signed on to an offensive coordinator who has a two-year $1.2 million contract. You have a defensive coordinator who's at $700,000. So how do you manage that? How do you massage that? Do you keep these guys around? Do you move them different roles? Do you get rid of all of them? That is going to be a big question and one that... uh, Obviously, Lance Leipold is going to have to address very early in his tenure because uh, things are going to be moving here very quickly. And all the eligibility issues right now, basically the free transfer, the the super senior. I mean, Kansas is looking at that in both directions now, right? I mean, players who might want to leave, but players maybe who could be interested in coming in to play for a new new coach. And I think I saw July 1st is the deadline for, for transferring. There, there's still a little bit of time left, but you're right. The timing is, is just really strange. Uh, he's got to put a staff together. He's got to meet with all players. It's just, uh, it's much later than this usually happens. And it's all sort of good and bad. Like, I think it was good for Kansas to be the only show in town. <laughs> Again, if you wanted a power five job at this point, Kansas was your option. And so it seemed like it kind of got into a, a war of sorts between Munkin and Leipold to take the position. But yeah, the free transfer will definitely 
most likely will impact Kansas here in a negative way. And it's, I mean, again, if you're Travis Goff, the AD, you just have to think long-term. You, you just can't worry about this, especially because you don't know how many guys might potentially transfer. But at the same time, it would be very easy for those guys to go find potentially different schools. And if you get one or two or three of the best players leaving, then, you know, you could have a, a quite a few players leaving. But at this point, you have to get the foundation set. You can't just think towards next these season. KU probably is not going to be very good next season anyway. But it is disappointing if one of the really good things that Les Miles did, the best thing he did in his tenure was he went out, he got really good recruits and signed high school guys and pretty good rated recruiting classes the last two years. So KU is going to mortgage a lot of that hard work and a lot of those bad times that they had during games if they aren't able to keep these players. But again, we'll see what happens. KU made its hire. They made Lance Leipold the new coach. He's going to come in and talk to the players and uh, we'll see kind of what develops from there. But it's a move that KU had to make if they felt like they needed a new coach in here. And obviously they did. All right. Great conversation, Jesse. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, you will hear from Chiefs General Manager Brett Beach, who met with the media late on Thursday night after the first round of the NFL draft. You might know that the Chiefs did not take a player in the first round of the draft. They traded it to the Baltimore Ravens to acquire Orlando Brown Jr., the left tackle. But Brett's had some interesting observations anyway about the first round as the Chiefs prepare for two picks in the second round later tonight. Jesse, thanks for the conversation. All right. Thanks, Blair. Hey, it's Blair. We have a special subscription offer for Sportsbeat KC listeners, unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Stars award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns presented on the KansasCity.com site. And it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. Your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at 50 bucks, unless you tell us to cancel. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star, and that support has never been more important. Please visit KansasCity.com slash SportsBeatKC offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. It was a fun first night of the draft and look forward to tomorrow with our, our, our two second round picks uh, and then working toward the, the weekend here. So uh, with that, we'll take your questions and get ready to roll for tomorrow. Let's go first to Herbie Tiope. Go ahead, Herbie. Hey, Brett. Good evening. Hey, Herbie. You mentioned it was a fun night. How much did that fun uh, entice you to maybe trade back into the first <laughs> round? And I have a second question after this. No, I, I mean, like I said, I think the value of this draft is really that uh, first part of two into the early mid stage of three. So, um, I mean, there was there wasn't a time where there was any temptation um, when we made that move for Orlando. That was the guy we wanted and we were happy and content to, to work with these two twos tomorrow. And speaking of that second round, Anthony, I know you called it a hot zone. How much does some of this action and some of the trades in the first round affect that zone, in your opinion? And then those, those, is it still considered a hot zone? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I don't I don't think there's really any surprises. Uh, you know, now some of the trades and, and how they worked out, um, you know, when I leave this Zoom here, I'll get back up uh, to the draft room with my staff. And, it, you know, it may affect some uh, tomorrow just because of the teams that trade it. it. It impacts their needs and what they wore if they they made some moves that, you know, you weren't expecting. And now they 
uh, they feel the need, but the team trading back, maybe they have a similar need and, and what have you. So uh, we'll work through those scenarios uh, tonight into tomorrow morning and, and be ready to go. So I think we'll know more tomorrow when when the dust settles here and we look and, and we evaluate the trades. And then we compare the, the trades with the, with the team needs or the perceived team needs that, that we believe those teams have. Thanks to Adam Teicher. Go ahead, Adam. Hey, Brett. Um, curious about Orlando Brown. Just uh, what, what you guys liked about him when you sort of decided that was the guy you had to have as your left tackle. And, Brett, I'll have a follow-up as well. We looked at the the draft and, you know, as we mentioned earlier, Adam, just uh, picking 31 and, and, and wanting to have a, a plug-and-play guy um, and not just – a tackle, uh, a real tackle, a, a Pro Bowl caliber tackle, and uh, had the opportunity to talk to a lot of people during this process that that work with Orlando in the past in New Orlando, and um, it was very consistent with what we had on him coming out. Just a high character guy, really smart, loves the process, all the things we talk about when we talk about the check boxes for these offensive linemen. Uh, durable, the guy doesn't miss any snaps. He's smart. Uh, he's he's tough. He loves the process and. Uh, that's that's an infectious trait, and that you know losing some guys like Fisher and, and, and Schwartz, um, it, you know it's one thing to replace uh, you know the uh, the athlete, but also uh, the type of people these guys were and what they bring into the locker room. So um, you, you know you talk about Orlando, and he has all those attributes you look for: the size, the length, uh, the mental toughness, the durability, the leadership. So uh, hard to find that, uh, you know the. These guys that you're looking at, I mean, a lot of these guys you like and, and they have developmental upside, but uh, I mean, we're certainly um, built to win and built to win now and, and to have a plug and play guys very hard. And um, that's why we couldn't pass up that opportunity. Okay. And and what is the plan as far as signing him to a long-term contract? Uh, are you going to wait on that? Or are you going to try to get something done maybe this summer before camp gets going? Yeah, we'll, we'll see. You know, we have some, some different things that, that we're working through and, um, we had great dialogue with him and his agent uh, before the trade, and and if something got worked out, great. But they were also content on on, on playing it out and, and having us uh, have some time to work through some other stuff, and then get into um, next off season. And, and as we all know, the cap situation will probably uh, increase, and there'll be more flexibility, and we can get more creative. So um, whether that be this year or, or next year, we have some time. But I think. The important thing for us was there was open dialogue and both parties understood that um, if it couldn't get done, that, you know, um, we'd go into the season and try to knock it out. Let's go next to Pete Sweeney. Go ahead, Pete. Hey, Brett. Uh, just curious about your thoughts on the AFC West and, and what it did tonight uh, in uh, Sertan, Slater, and then Leatherwood. Yeah, I think the you know those teams were, were probably falling their board and taking the best players available. As you mentioned, Sertan, one of the top corners, uh, in the draft and uh, wasn't surprising from a, a defensive, uh, you know, former defensive coordinator, the head coach there, but I mean, great player and uh, Oakland and, and LA going on the offensive line, good value there. And, and, you know, I think the teams are, are, are just probably staying true to the board, taking the best player available, but you know, uh, all those teams took, took some good players and, and look forward to that competition with those guys. Let's go next to Sam McDowell. Go ahead, Sam. Hey, Brett. Um, hey, Sam. As you went through your mock drafts over the past couple of weeks and anticipated what might be there at 31, um, did the reality today match that? Or was there something maybe there, somebody there that you didn't anticipate being there at 31? No, I think I think it kind of played out. I don't think there's any real surprises. I think when you get to the last four or five picks, those are always guys that, that some teams have in one, some teams have in two, some teams have in mid two. So I think you look at the draft, I mean, the first, I want to say, I'm looking at here, I'm in the first 18 to 24 picks that 
these were guys that if we didn't have in one, we had early two. And then uh, I would say pretty much even toward the end there, these guys, I mean, obviously Turner, Stokes, Rousseau, uh, the pass rusher from Penn State, Tryon, these are all guys that we liked right in that range. I don't think there's any huge surprises or any big curveballs, but that's typical for a first round. I mean, I, I would say every year there's a couple. I don't know if there are really any this year, but uh, there'll certainly be a lot more uh, tomorrow. And and that's why I think having those two twos will be very advantageous for us. We've got three more. We'll go right down the line, starting with Matt Derrick. Go ahead, Matt. Hey, Brett. Um, good to talk to you there. I'm curious just how you thought about the first round and how it unfolded as far as what the depth is at some of the positions uh, that remain there for the second round. And how much conversation have you got, had with your, your staff about staying alert and being ready to move up if you want to? Well, we're going we're to get together right now after I get off the Zoom. First round just ended. And, you know, again, I don't think there's a lot of surprises. Um, but once I get off here, we're going to go and, and kind of redo the board and restack it and reshuffle it and, and try to position ourselves for where we need to be. And uh, I think we're happy with the numbers and, and kind of how they, they worked out. And, and again, having 58 and 62, I think we're going to be in a good spot to get a couple good players and have some flexibility. And as far as the first round, again, I, I mean, I think it was kind of well documented that the quarterbacks were going to go early. Uh, there was obviously three really good wideouts and, and they went early and, and then it's kind of just picking at some of those positions we talked about uh, during this process, the O-line, uh, the D-line or DN position uh, and the cornerback position, there was a run of corners uh, in the early part. And then toward the end there, there's a couple of corners go off the board. So I, I think it kind of played out. I, I mean, not exactly. I don't think it ever plays out exactly like you think, but I just think in general uh, from a thousand foot view, I think it, you know, the players went maybe not in the order that you, you thought, but I think they all went uh, kind of in those zones you thought they were going to go. But again, uh, I think the value here is really this, the second round into the mid third. And, and again, excited about having those two twos. Let's go next to Seren Petro. Go ahead, Seren. Uh, Brett and Brett, I'll have a, a follow up here real quick. Uh, first of all, big story uh, as this draft was getting going in the afternoon was Aaron Rodgers wanting out. And then there's a report out that the deal's almost done. I talked to some people that, that news was coming from Aaron Rodgers. Um, that's how I was getting to the guy who reported Mark Schlereth. Uh, I think it's well known. I'm just curious, how much does that, that was a big buzz for football fans. How much does that penetrate your room? Well, I, it does just because uh, it was, it was kind of all, all over uh, social media. And, and I think right when I sat down, some of my guys in the room were saying, Hey, I mean, there's some rumblings of, of Rogers going to Denver, but uh, you know, we're hearing all this stuff in real time, just like you guys are uh, certainly we're not going to have any inside information when uh, the trade uh, pertains to a, a rival team like Denver. So, I mean, you hear about it, you talk about it, but uh, it, it seemed like a lot on the day of the draft. And, you know, I, <laughs> to, that's a lot of juggling uh, parts there for picks and players and contracts and how they fit into the cap on the day of. So, I, I mean, look, sometimes you don't know what's real and what's not, but I mean, usually when it picks up traction by a, a ton of people that are kind of in the know, you, you, you know, you, you certainly look into it and um, look at that kind of stuff, but it, at the end of the day, it's not going to affect what we do. I mean that, you know, we have a game plan. We obviously are, you know, we're excited about our team, where we are, our talent and, and how we can improve. So um, listen to it and, pay attention, but more so as a sports fan. And, and it's, it's just, um, it's good social media reads and stuff like that, but no, yeah, I mean, they're in our division. So you pay a little bit more attention to that, but again, I mean, we're focused on, on controlling what we can control and, and, and worrying about ourselves and how we can get better. 
And then you talked about a couple of the runs that were going on, uh, you know, different spots. How easy you've still got to sit for a little bit uh, yeah. tomorrow before you get in there. So how accurate can you be uh, on knowing where things are going to go? I mean, I know in some ways it doesn't matter, right? You'll know who's available when you get there, but uh, as far as like maneuvering around or maybe moving down, how accurate when you get together in this meeting after this Zoom, do you guys uh, usually get and projecting what's going to be there when he gets to you? Yeah, so we'll have um, we'll have uh, a chance to get up there and, and then stack the numbers. And, you know, we have some formulas of, of how many numbers you need. And I think our first pick is pick 26 in round two. So how many numbers we need in round two to, you know, feel 80% confident, 90% confident and what have you. But I think the benefit for us is addressing that left tackle need that we can go in any different direction. I mean, we can go O-line, we can go D-line, we can go corner, we can go safety, linebacker. So I think that's the benefit of, of where we are and having those two twos that we're not pigeonholed into saying, man, we need a left tackle. We got to get this taken care of. Um, once we address that need and we were able to acquire another second round pick, it really opened the entire board for us and allowed for maximum flexibility. And we'll go last to Nate Taylor. Go ahead, Nate. Hey, Brett. Thanks again. Just, sure. to, just to pick up what Matt was saying and, and kind of leading into the syringe question too, how much on the initial look, does this remind you of what you guys were trying to do in 2019? Obviously you got McCall Hardman, you got Mom Thornhill. Is that the hope and the goal tomorrow? Um, depending upon how you look at the board now versus what will ultimately happen tomorrow night? Well, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think that, you know, we're just trying to acquire good players. And I think, again, I go back to, uh, you know, our off season, we wanted to address the offensive line and, and we were able to add Joe Tooney. And then there was still obviously a, a glaring hole there at left tackle. And we have some, um, some young talent there that we're working through and with Nyang coming back uh, more of a right tackle and Remmers will work at right tackle. So we just, came into this process of wanting to be flexible and wanting to really stick to the board, take the best player available. And once we were able to acquire Orlando, you know, we felt like we made that possible. And as far as, you know, what we're trying to accomplish now, we're just trying to add good players. And, and again, I think the benefit for us is we can go in literally any direction. Uh, again, other than quarterback, I think anything's on the table for tomorrow. That'll do it for today and this week on Sportsbeat KC. Thanks to our production staff of Derek Donovan, Beth Welsh, Monty Davis, Jeff Rosen, Chris Fickett, and Savannah Smith. Tip of the cap to Jesse Newell for stopping by and talking about the new Kansas football coach, Lance Leipold. Links to stories about the coaching search and about Lance Leipold can be found in the show notes and on KansasCity.com. And speaking of KansasCity.com, we've got another deal for you. You can subscribe to Sports Pass for 99 cents a month. That's right, 99 pennies a month. Sports Pass is the online version of the Star Sports section. You get all the stories that appear in the print editions of the Star, plus many more stories that appear on the website first. After three months, this deal auto-renews at $5.99 a month, unless you cancel. It's always a great time to subscribe. The Royals start their series at Minnesota tonight, still in first place in the AL Central. Local colleges always making news, as you heard today. And we're in the middle of the NFL draft, so it's never not chief season. How do you get this deal? You go to kansascity.com slash sportspass2020. That's kansascity.com slash sportspass2020. You want more than just sports coverage? Check out the entire Kansas City Star product. Sports news features, commentary, and analysis, the whole thing. You get all the stories written by my talented colleagues, plus additional national news, sports, and business coverage with the e-edition. The details for all of these deals can be found at account.kansascity.com slash subscribe. 
If you're having trouble hunting down any of the offers, you send me an email, bkirkhoff at kcstar.com, and I'll get you to the right place. So whether it's the Sports Pass or the full subscription, you're getting and supporting the best sports and news coverage in Kansas City and helping us produce programs like Sports BKC. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back on Monday with another episode.